everybody. Welcome to Dumb and Awful. This is Brett, everyone loves board. This is Rob at Dumb and Awful. This is Brad at Fizz Vashizzle. Let's slide into the abyss. <laughs> Did I tell you guys why I couldn't stay in the Silent Hill Hospital anymore? No, last we talked, you were just hanging out. Oh my gosh, we had a patient. So the emergency room was open in this hospital. That was it. That was a whole different wing. And it's a very small hospital. We're getting five patients a night. And one of the guys comes up and says, I think we have a COVID patient. And I'm like, no, you fucking don't. There's no way. Let me go look at them. They had a test pending. They didn't have a CT scan because they didn't want to risk infecting the whole hospital. Right. Um, so I gowned up. I did the whole droplet cautions, um, everything, you know, in 95, the whole nine yards. And I went in to listen to this girl. I was completely unimpressed. Been smoking for 45 years. Lungs sounded fine. She had a fever and a dry cough. History of costochondritis. Nothing impressive about this at all. I, I like Came how impressive out. is the adjective you use. <laughs> like, yeah. babe, if you want me giving you that COVID diagnosis, you're going to have to try a little harder. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I'm I'm quietly moving my feet uh, and orienting them away from you to let them, <laughs> just to give you the micro signal that you need to come stronger. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Am I, am I checking my phone during your diagnosis? Maybe you should have more COVID. <laughs> Long story short, uh, she was COVID as shit, completely lit up. They had to uh, basically quarantine the entire hospital staff that had not gone in with full droplet precautions. On top of that, she worked at a um, chicken plant, I want to say, with 700 other people. Oh, And fuck. she had been there for a week working. The way you describe it is really unnerving, I'll be honest. She wasn't impressive, but she was lit up, I tell you what. No, I mean, it's 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 scary, though, because you have this diagnosis, and she's, I mean, she absolutely has it. Once you got the CT, it was obvious, but, like, when you talk to her, it wasn't, you wouldn't think it was that bad. You would yeah. think it was just, like, bronchitis. Lungs sounded fine. Not a problem with them. Yeah, so check it out. Your lungs, they seem normy as hell, but I'm looking at your viral load. It's fucking lit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, check out check out this video of me deadlifting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they so you why did you have to leave the entire town for that? Just whole hospital shut down too? Yeah, the whole hospital was like you can't stay here anymore because uh, uh, a we have a COVID patient and we just need. I was staying in like a converted doctor's lounge, so they yeah. needed that for like the nurses that had been just like hanging out with her before they realized what they had, um, who now couldn't go home for fourteen days. Well, because yeah. you gowned up, you were allowed to leave. Yeah, because I didn't have any like <laughs> unprotected contact with this patient. And now you're in Asheville. Now I'm in Asheville. And we just brought down, we're bringing down a Confederate monument as we speak. <laughs> but yeah, so the city has covered it up and they're in the process of bringing it down now. Fuck yeah. The idea that like, oh, pulling down these statues, like that's just spitting in the face of history. Let me tell you a little New York based story. Uh, in City Hall Park, they read out the Declaration of Independence and it got all of the patriots of New York so fired up that they ran on down to the battery, which was an old fort at the time, found the statue of the king, big-ass one, uh, yanked it down, melted it uh, down, and then forged bullets at it to shoot at the Redcoats. Yeah, that rules. That's, I gotta say, look, founding fathers had some good ideas. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, this is this is what happens. It's okay. The only reason this is an issue is because nobody systemically wants to talk about the real shit like i was so disappointed I, mean, I don't know what i expected but like i was so disappointed by how we were saying last time that in new york uh they passed you know a, an anti-chokehold law which the, the cops were already not supposed to be doing a chokehold 
and they got a promise of less overtime from the police department itself as a budget cut. And then they did some creative accounting where they're like, well, look, we are slashing the budget because we're going to take the school safety cops, the ones that like do the crossing guard stuff and like sit at the desk when you go Mm -hmm. to a school. Uh, We're going to put them on the Department of Education line. So look, that's like a billion in savings right there. Already, uh, they undid that. They, They brought the DOE school safety people back into the NYPD, put them back on the budget. Uh, the former NYPD commissioner said that Bill de Blasio is just an absolute disgrace and we just have to live with him for, you know, a couple months longer, uh, on that chokehold thing. And 400 cops retired over this extremely, uh, punitive overtime (laughs) policy. And people were like, look, they can't even do their job without getting, you know, two and a half X for every hour over that they work. Right. That's not it. Cops are retiring now because your pension is based on the last yep. your salary the last year or Amazing. your total take home the last year. So all of them are just running overtime into the ground now so they can continue to just suck three hundred and twenty grand a year out of New York City forever. Yep. So if you see the one billion cut from the NYPD, not only is that wrong, it's wrong enough that the fucking New York Post fact checked it. And the New that, York Post yeah, that's is incredible. got a hard on for the NYPD every day of the week. So it's total bullshit. Nothing was cut. Any actual cuts would be based on them not doing a shitload of overtime, which, again, isn't written in stone. Even the city council members who voted for it were like, this is not a cut. This is basically where it's always been. It it is amazing to me that any competent New York City police officer, a person without, you know, barely a high school education, will clear millions of dollars during the course of their career and retirement if they just don't, like, murder a white person. You know where most of them retire to, by the way? Uh, Long Island or Westchester or Florida. There you go. Yeah, that, that's there really the, uh, no disrespect to Majora's Mask, but that's the worst Triforce I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Do better. Uh, the thing they're proposing now is like, well, this is like the most lib idea ever. It's like, all cops should have to buy uh, personal liability insurance against, uh, and look, the city will still defend when they get, um, you know, when they get misconduct and all the city will still represent them and pay out. But this way, if they have to keep paying insurance, when there's more misconduct, their personal premiums will go up. So their monthly, their monthly payment. And so that way we'll financially incentivize the good cops to have very low premiums and then the the sickos you know they'll have to pay a little bit more consistently yeah the market-based solution will work just like it has no other time big push on the left should be to kick all police unions out of labor movements just in general but especially because something came out where it was uh the biden bernie fucking coalition to find something left for biden to pretend he cares about didn't go anywhere he didn't fucking promote anything but one of the things that they couldn't even get was a right to strike. Couldn't even get that pushed on the, the platform because they didn't want to pl- piss off police unions because they see police unions as part of the labor movement and police unions don't want right to strike in there. So they get to call the shots on labor because they're technically a union and they're just fucking all the rest of us. Like the, the goddamn uh, apparatus of the state has no part of any sort of labor organizing and they should be kicked out immediately at no point in the history of like organizational politics even like in the early fucking days where any asshole with the printing press that they stole from germany and dragged russia could print a pamphlet has anyone said 
that police or state authority unions were part of any kind of broader working coalition. The IWW has never once admitted police unions into the ranks because they were like, these guys fucking suck. The police union exists explicitly to protect their members while they almost certainly put down any enemies of the state, which happened, or capital, which generally happened to be unions as well. And Biden, is that's a slap in the face. And Bernie, man. Look, that, <laughs> that's, why, uh, that's why they're anti-strike, because they're not imagining themselves ever on the picket line with the common man. They're imagining themselves being called by the shop owner because there's a disturbance out in front of their store. That's also just not one of their tactics. When they want something, they just stop responding to calls in a district. They get media to run news stories about how it's that politician who's creating all this crime. Like the, the entire apparatus supports them. They have no need for a strike. You can just tell the broader forces in society to do your bidding, and they will, and they have. In Atlanta, after the Wendy's burned down, cops in the you know in various wards just didn't go into work. They all called in sick, and there was two nights in a row where there were literally no cops, and everything was like fine, and there were no <laughs> problems. It wasn't a big deal at all. The street parties were fucking lit, but then all the cops got a $1,500 bonus for no reason, and they all just came back to work. That must be so nice. They're also, the thing they do, they do work with the media, though. So, like, now uh, shootings in New York is going up, A, because it's summer, uh, B, because people have been trapped inside, slowly going deranged for months, like in a, yeah. in a CIA experiment that we all got put through accidentally. <laughs> Basically, everyone is just vaguely psychedelic now. And finally, um, 25% of New Yorkers who live in apartments did not pay rent last month. Not because like they finally found solidarity with your tweets online, but because <laughs> they're so fucking broke, they're out of options. So... Uh, yeah, there's a lot more people out in the fucking 95 degree every day, global warming weather on the fucking baking asphalt, just getting pissed off and shooting each other. And you've seen the cops try to to put into the Post and, and the other papers like, well, you know, you, 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 you cut down on our overtime and now there's less people willing to go stop the, uh, the gun crimes. It's exactly. like absolutely bullshit. Oh, by the way, the, the 25% isn't last month. It's since March. A quarter of New York City renters have not paid rent since March, which is that's an astronomical number. That's yeah, like, that's that's there's more there's more people in New York City that aren't paying rent right now than they're in the army. Like that, it's just and there's no game plan. There is no plan whatsoever on what to do with this. They they extended the moratorium on evictions, but not on rent. So the rent payments keep piling up. And they're, they're allowing the legal process to continue for evictions, and they're just stopping the last final physical act. So the landlords are starting to shut shit off. Technically, you haven't been evicted, but you haven't paid, so I'm going to turn off all your utilities. Yeah, but you have no water. Yes, like, you have no you water. Know, you have that's... no electricity in the summer in New York where it's been consistently 85 to 95 every day, right? And you're trapped inside because you have to be trapped inside. Because if you if you leave, you'll come back and all your shit will be on the street, and there'll be some like hipster who has just moved in to start a blog about cheese. Not anymore. There's no, no one no. moving in. <laughs> no, you should look at the the Brett was looking at like the real estate prices. They've all plummeted. Uh, so I I, I keep checking because our lease is up soon, and like we have no idea what we're gonna do. Just wild FYI. gentrifier. Here it comes. I knew it was coming. Well, no, we'd be de gentrifying if anything. <laughs> yeah, no, if anything, we're gonna leave. <laughs> Like, we'll, we'll go further out. But I was looking just to be like, can we even afford to stay 
in a non-gingerfied part of Brooklyn? And the answer is more and more quickly becoming, yes, you can, because all the prices, not in Manhattan, because they have private equity backing them, so they don't have to ch adjust prices for supply and demand. But in Brooklyn, they do. So they're all plummeting really quickly, and a lot of them have vacancy rates that are hitting 20% which is totally unsustainable. Like nobody can afford to deal with that. Also, didn't the Airbnb economy sort of fuck up a lot of places <laughs> yes. too, where it's like they weren't even on the housing market because they were just letting every backpacker and like part-time DJ that came to the city have a spot to crash. And now that's not happening. So, so a bunch of new ones got put on the market as well. A lot of right. the uh, Airbnb rentals got added to the market. And then uh, at the same time, the rental market's just collapsing. And no one in their right mind is moving to New York right now. So even the normal flow of people coming in has totally halted. Everyone with money has bailed. And then each new time things shut down, more and more people leave. Like each month is more people hitting a lease end where they go, why the fuck am I staying in the city? And they're bailing. They're um, moving home. They're going back to Idaho or wherever. Uh, they're going yeah. home. Or I, I know a few people who are like, that's not really an option. So they're just bailing to the wilderness if they have uh, jobs they can do remote. And if they don't, they're still bailing because they can't fucking afford it. I, I think my favorite thing about this has been the um, the Airbnb owner that took out multiple mortgages just to <laughs> keep renting Airbnbs. And how like NPR will run sympathetic pieces on their plight and how I'm supposed to give two fucking shits. This dude is like addicted to getting mortgages and running Airbnb. <laughs> Just be a normal Airbnb host and get addicted to cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that's a fact. I just, I'm basing it on the decor I've seen at any Airbnb I've ever been at. Last guy had all of Drake on vinyl. <laughs> I mean, Here's the thing. He w wasn't wrong. I listened to it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to judge here, but uh, <laughs> I, I am happy to say that I'm currently in a city that flat out banned any more Airbnbs because they were pissed off about what it was doing to the prices of real estate here. Smart. Asheville. <laughs> There's some real ones in Asheville. Thank you. I appreciate that, Rob. That means a lot to me. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Chattanooga has banned Airbnb as well, and they're like they're randomly progressive as shit. That's not because of <laughs> politics. That that's just because they uh, they they confused the app for a, a ghost inside a brick. <laughs> was, I don't know. That sounds like a very good anime. Tell me, where did Go you see this? Ghost, <laughs> ghost in the brick. In the brick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Chattanooga has its own ISP. When I was there uh, doing my the the like Amazon internship that I did, which was Amazon's an evil company, they had crazy high speed internet. It cost nothing. It was run as utility. It was the most pleasant interaction I've ever had with a cable provider or internet provider. It was wonderful. And all I could think was like, why isn't this everywhere? Did, a, this, did the this fucking great. telecom tycoon just happen to be passing through when he ran out of water? <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee has a sort of a sort of interesting history with uh, doing stuff like that. All their energy is co-op. Obviously, like the entire economy is funded by um, like various <laughs> nuclear power research initiatives that have happened. The you know Tennessee Valley Authority was just there to provide electricity to make nuclear bombs to drop on the Japanese. So like it's been for about a century. It wasn't specifically for the Japanese. That's just the way it it worked out. We would have happily dropped it on anybody. If, yeah, if we <laughs> Polish, the Germans, whomever. Um, <laughs> don't drop it i'll tell you i uh, let me tell you right now i fucking dare you to drop a nuke on poland because if you've played fallout you know what those super mutants <laughs> are like and that's the way this is going rob have i told you the 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 story about like what nuclear plans were in the 50s and 60s for european warfare uh what about it americans had no troops in germany so their plan was just to like if the russians invaded like they were going to drop nukes and the Russians considered nuclear bombs artillery. So if they were invaded, they were going to drop nukes. And either way, uh, Poland got nuked first. 
<laughs> While you're there. I mean, I look, <laughs> in a long arc of history, uh, I get it. <laughs> Mortal enemies. But one thing we can agree on, fuck the polls first. Our president right now, President Duda, is... Uh, I want to say he's not a shining example, but he's as perfect a representative for the country as Trump is for America. He's just like a, a big dumbass. You know, he, he thinks people need to respect angels more. He, <laughs> he, he has a, 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 a project of Polonization, which I assume is just taking like cool French and German art and making it fucking dumber. And he's now created an alliance. Poland is now, if, if this is like the worst case scenario if you're playing Hearts of Iron 4, but Poland is now in charge of like some like Eastern European NATO where it's them, Slovakia, Hungary, and uh, who gives a shit? Another not Poland country <laughs> that get together presumably to, to talk about beating their wives. I don't know why that coalition exists. I mean, the one good part about Duda is he is translating Touched by an Angel for a larger audience. He is so fucking dumb. Him and Trump look like they genuinely vibe because they both they they only like their idea of like geopolitical affairs and strategic initiatives is like, hey, man, I'll give you a bazillion dollars for a bunch of those cool F-16s. And Trump's like, yeah, they go like, like, that's the level of it. And then the, the entire Polish delegation just taking notes in a notepad like, ah, and you look at the notes and it's just a drawing of a plane dropping bombs on Lithuanians. <laughs> Poland sucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fuck Poland. Uh, but to the rent thing, the other reason the prices are <laughs> they seamless. Yeah. Seamless. You thought you could pull that off, Brad. You you idiot. You dolt. Do you understand? You you can't even see the brush strokes when this man works. This is this, this is like pointillism. There's e each dot, years of experience, <laughs> social competence, just grinding out his his craft at bars and at the at fucking soirees so he can do that seamless transfer from one topic to a topic that we had just left a second ago. <laughs> anyway, the other reason rents are going down is because all the classes are online in New York. Every every university has already switched to online classes. So if you're doing any sort of schoolwork, there's no fucking reason to be in the city. Even if you're an international student, although that one's getting interesting because ICE just put out a thing uh, an executive order this week that basically said if you're an international student taking classes in the States, you have to have at least one in-person class in order to stay in the States. Otherwise, you have to go back home. Just blatant white nationalism on that one. And so far, at least on the New York side, all of the schools have gone like, fine, we will give a one credit international affairs class that all of you will be automatically enrolled in. It'll cost nothing. Uh, and you can just show up no one has to sit in the class. You just swipe in and we'll call it good. And there you go. So uh, Harvard right now is around $49,000 a semester to sit on your couch and your parents' uh, basements of their like feudal demands. A fucking uh, steal at 49 k Where else are you going to be able to sit in a coffin and, and wank off with all your buddies? <laughs> What's the best part about that is there's probably a Harvard person right now that's more upset that I was referring to Yale than they are about the fact that they're just having money fleeced from them for nothing, for no education. I, uh, you know, back in the day, George W. Bush got a job because he like gave a hand job to somebody at, you know, a Skull and Bones meeting at Yale. But in the future, the Zoomers are going to get like high ranking government positions because they sent Goatsy to people during a Zoom meeting uh, for <laughs> History 101 <laughs> at Harvard. 
<laughs> I actually think that's a good Paul. I, I would like that as a Kantian maxim. You can't be president unless you've given hand jobs. <laughs> We're saying goatsy. I'm just saying <laughs> either of those would create a, a better coterie of people to pull from. <laughs> no, the tuition thing is infuriating. So, like, I've been taking classes uh, in the since the spring, right, at new school using the GI Bill. The plan was to work over the summer. Obviously, that's been shot to hell and back. Um, so I just had to keep taking classes and burn more GI Bill on classes that they're useless. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Online classes are the worst way to learn anything. I learn better taking fucking instructions from a YouTube video at this point. But so I'm taking these classes through the summer, burning more of my GI Bill. I have vanishingly little left. I have enough basically for one more semester, which looks like it's going to be the fall. I don't want to take any more classes online, but I, I, I have no other option for income. I, I'm trying to find jobs right now, but shock. Uh, Everyone I know has either been fired, furloughed, or is desperately afraid of job cuts, so they have nothing for me. I can't get unemployment because I've been going to school. You're just not allowed to qualify for unemployment at all if you're going to school or were going to school recently. Also, if you're a college student or taking college classes right now, you didn't qualify for the $1,200 stimulus. So basically, every single young person, if you can't rely on your parents right now, if you're going to take classes, you are fucked. And then international students are basically just paying exorbitant sums to remain in the country. Yeah, it's it, the entire education system is broken. So I'm in like a weird scenario in which I am actually getting money to go to class so long as I'm using the GI Bill. Like, so financially it makes sense for me. But if I'm in a situation in which like I can't get unemployment or anything else, but I'm also having to pay to go to classes, like why the fuck would I do that? I, I can't grasp how most of these colleges aren't going to get absolutely demolished this fall because even if you do open it doesn't matter most people aren't going to show up right and i think it's not it's not just going to be all like obviously harvard having a harvard degree it's it's mostly about networking but that's still like a commodity you know some rich yeah. fucking shit uh, yeah, it absolutely is not about uh, the yeah. education it is about networking given the fact that People are still signing up to pay 50 grand knowing they will not be in any classrooms and will essentially just be uh, posting and reading forums all day. So, so my, my, but you know, Harvard's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen to Harvard, Yale, those little shitheads, instead of Stanford, wherever. But like, bring it down to like Georgia, let's keep it, you know, a little more, a little more local to me. Like, University of Georgia is going to be fine. Right. People are still going to little chuds are going to still send there. They've already said they're fully opening. And, you know, with the governor of Georgia, I don't see why that wouldn't happen. Chud parents are going to send their dull shit chud kids there and it's going to be fine. But who's going to go to Kennesaw State, which is the second largest school in the state? Or like who is going to go to like, you know, uh, Columbus State University or, you know, go down to Milledgeville to Georgia College State University. All those tiny little towns, they're fucked. They're gone. The school is gone. The town that like is supported by the school is fucking gone. It, it's going to be a fucking disaster. Trump said that if Harvard tries doing this like one credit thing where they don't fully reopen, that he's going to withdraw funding, which for a second I was so psyched about. I was like, Trump is accidentally woke again. Yeah, pull funding from Harvard. Fucking do it. <laughs> People have been fighting for that. Their endowment is enormous. Make them fucking... 50 billion dollars. Billion with a Jesus. B. Work on that endowment. For a little bit, if you're going to do anything, uh, which is what I said to Brad's mom last night. <laughs> Did he no, it's going to be terrible for everyone, though. Obviously, that's a, the problem. Is I instantly realized that, like, oh yeah, Harvard can sit on their bazillions of dollars and they'll be absolutely fine. 
and all the ones that actually need federal funding are just going to be fucked. Yeah, exactly. There's only like maybe 30 to 50 schools in the country that'll be fine just because like they're the big state school. So the state will support no matter what, or they are private with a big enough endowment. But everything else, all the all the smaller ones are the ones that are actually accessible for people. So like in New York City, basically everything, as far as I can tell, is a private school except CUNY, right? The City University of New York, which used to be free if you're a New York resident, isn't anymore, but still is like the only affordable really option. They just cut like something like a third of all the staff. No, no NYPD cuts, but CUNY just got fucking demolished. Uh, it, it, and I don't understand. Like, it's one of those where you go, if they go under, there goes the only education option for a huge chunk of people in the region. Right. What, and what about the, the Sunnis? Same sort of situation. Like, they're all going to be fucked. Uh, in the state of Florida, they're only going to be able to keep two or three of those schools going, like UF, FSU, maybe USF, and that's it. All I, the smaller I, colleges? I'm optimistic that FSU will survive just because I know come budget time they'll prioritize racism. <laughs> and gators aren't a race. <laughs> True. It, it's frustrating to watch any sort of economic news right now because it is all based on this delusion that the minute you open up, everything is fine. And it's like, well... One, everything's not going to open up anytime soon. And while we wait, another new industry goes under. Like the ripple effect hits another one, right? Another new sector of the economy that needed to reopen or needed something to happen isn't getting it and is now also going to get fucked. So like now we're, we're nearing the point at which it just demolishes like the entire higher education industry, which in some ways is a good thing because they're fucking terrible. But also sure, uh, yeah. there's a ton of people who rely on that for jobs and education right like those things are wildly important for a lot of small towns so nuking that whole sector of the economy yeah that, that like there needs to be an actual fucking plan can you imagine too going to school right now and like it's always hard to like pick a major and decide like fuck i'm really here i'm on my own i gotta decide what i want to do with my life over these four years and, and pretty soon and like going to the the going to the registrar's office and trying to like pick your classes and going like oh well, i don't know can you imagine doing that now like taking some some what color is your parachute bullshit and being like <laughs> oh okay i should do this and it's like congrats that industry no longer exists yeah I, I mean the uh most of the big new york schools that are famous are art schools that literally requires workshops. You have to be in person to do that shit. I keep seeing these things where people are like, well, that's because people think socializing is a big part of the experience. Like, no, there are a lot of college courses that are based on the idea that you are in person doing work. Labs, pretty much the whole field of science requires in-person labs for you to fucking understand it. Part of my theater degree from Marymount Manhattan School of the Arts on 71st and 3rd was showing up to build flats for the shows. Yes, this sounds like uh, indentured servitude. Um, no, I did not get paid for it. But at what, what theater student in New York City will have the full experience if they're not sitting there trying not to cut their hand off with a bandsaw that they were just shown how to use five seconds ago and have no experience with? <laughs> Think of them. Think of those kids that couldn't get into NYU. Why don't you? I am. It's really funny. <laughs> i'm imagining these all these dumb theater kids with, with like a bendy saw trying to like you know whose line is it and just causing direct lines to the hospital <laughs> it's frustrating because like we talk about all this and we seem like gloom and doomy and then you like look at the news or log on to social media and like libs are on one right now like <laughs> like things are bad but there's like a real like undercurrent of hope 
between was it the the Oklahoma? Yeah, half of Oklahoma is now owned by the Native Americans. Yeah, yeah. Ted Ted Cruz tweeted. Neil Gorsuch and the four liberal justices just gave away half of Oklahoma. Literally, Manhattan is next. <laughs> Which, like, cool, do that. Uh, but yeah, the 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 libs are going off because they've got they've got Neil Gorsuch. They, first of all, Hamilton just came out. They got two Supreme Court things Plus, going yeah. on. Trump is going to finally release his tax returns. Oh, and Andy, guess what? He had someone uh, a fake. Someone took his SATs for him. So there you go. Look at that. His fucking proof that this Trump guy is is a dummy. He, he's not actually smart. It's like the the celebrations they're having. It just shows how much of like liberalism is is reveling within a certain uh, professional aesthetic. The idea that wow, you know what? I never thought I'd say this, but uh, Kavanaugh did the right thing by making Trump release his tax returns. It's like we. We already know he's a scumbag. We ha- we have we know he's a cheat. We know he's a fraud. If you cared about Trump's fraud, look at the fucking small business grants he just gave to everybody with basically no accountability. Uh, wait, you didn't you didn't sign yourself up as a, a two million dollar LLC and s- report yourself fifty times over so that you were worth more than you know the amount that Steve Mnuchin just said is going to automatically be forgiven, which is two million dollars. Because I feel stupid that I didn't do that. You know, fuck, shit. People were were falling all over themselves this morning to praise Gorsuch because he did basically the bare minimum of his job, which is interpret the law. And this is a really easy one. Like, yes, of course it belongs to the Creek Indians. That was the, the arrangement we had. But because the outcome in the instant case, which fucking last week he, he said employers could just deny contraception uh to the people under their health plans that was last week and already libs have forgot it because gorsuch wrote uh in in the first sentence of his uh opinion on the far end of the trail of tears was a promise everybody every lib online is just like oh it's like the west wing Ah!" that it's the bar is so low for these people to just completely forget what ghouls everyone in government is Today, today has been like a magical like wormhole back to like March of 2017, where we were all like breathlessly watching Rachel Maddow because you know Speaking some yourself, small bro. like <laughs> I mean not us but like well we you were know, grasping our body pillows and wishing for the best <laughs> yeah like some some small you know you know procedural thing was gonna bring Trump down and like this Senate investigation was gonna do it and God he's still he's, he's gonna release his tax returns every day there's a goddamn pandemic and we're at like 30 percent real unemployment 50 percent of people who want to work don't have a job and like anyone gives a fucking shit that Trump cheated on his SAT 50 years ago no libs do uh, because, because the sat is just liberal phrenology right it's going like oh i have these tools here and they measure and remember th- then this will set your entire life and you get to be in different classes or skip grades and you get to quote it at uh at cocktail parties at the beltway but in the sort of tone where you go like yeah i went to school in the boston area this they love this shit which by the way the strongest correlation between strong sat scores and anything else is income because you can buy your way into better sat scores i used to tutor it you can do methodologies where even a dipshit can get a pretty good score if you have enough money Oh, I'm the perfect example. I was part of a Duke program. I got to take the thing twice a year from sixth grade on. Like by the time I finally got to like my junior or senior year of high school, I could take that thing with my eyes closed. They told me to call in sick. 
it, I, I took the PSAT and I didn't know that you could actually get like grants or anything off of it. And I scored the lowest in my school because <laughs> 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 we're like, uh, you know, they wanted to be competitive. It was just one of those things like, well, you know, you could take the ACT. <laughs> Not fuck up our average. <laughs> and the best part of this is the history of the SAT and why they even came up with it and like the entire concept of um, like college entrance exams is because the only people that were getting to college were Jewish. And like the racists that be in the 1910s were like, no, we can't have this anymore. We're going to make a test. Yeah, higher education has always just been about laundering privilege for the wealthy. It was all just very frustrating today because you see in action the thing that keeps happening which is the ghouls of one era don't die off when the next administration comes in. They all just get even more pricey jobs uh, in D.C. or elsewhere and sit in them for a while and then return valorized. Like John Bolton or the fucking Bush guys that are now making super PAC ads for Joe Biden. Or fucking uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, who they, they only had to wait, wait a second for them to be like distinguished jurists that make hard choices sometimes and put country over their own uh, party politics. Oh, yeah. The other thing the Libs had to do this, the, the other fun thing the Libs pulled off this week was their letter against cancel culture and the fucking Harpers, which. <sighs> There were some there were some disheartening names that signed that. I'm not gonna lie. Chomsky signing on to that sucked ass. Chomsky signed on. We had uh, one of the local Zephyr Teachout signed on that too, which was also disappointing. I didn't read that. Can someone explain it to me like in a way that doesn't make me want to kill myself? Because I just oh, saw well, that's okay. <laughs> I, I just saw celebs strike one, sign open letter, strike two, uh, about cancel culture, and I was just done. I'm not reading, look, I'm barely reading anything. I'm certainly not reading letters. I'm not a fucking <laughs> Victorian masturbator or whatever the fuck. I don't know who's reading letters. Why do people care? And I, by the way, I don't buy the premise that people do care. It's not like you would just call your uncle and he'd be like, I'm fucked up about this cancel culture letter. Does anybody give a fuck other than like people, other media figures. people that like fastidiously yeah. document the comings and goings of J.K. Rowling? It, the idea was it was an open letter signed by a ton of different media figures about how cancel culture is infringing on First uh, Amendment free speech rights of the media, uh, and it's creating this whole issue. They gave no specifics because if you give specifics, you very quickly see that it's bullshit. As far as I can tell, the only reason this comes up is because it is the media. It's the media talking about their own industry because their own industry is going through a process in which the people who work and do the actual day-to-day -day work are pissed because all the top-end people are doing sketchy shit to either promote racism or full-on fascism and are getting no pushback. So they're getting pushback from their own internal news group along with regular people out and about seeing sketchy shit get published in the New York Times, for instance. And so they feel like they're forced to resign or take another super well-paying job elsewhere. That's all it is. It's just internal media bullshit. It is kind of funny. Like, obviously, the reason uh, cancel culture exists is because uh, in lieu of any sort of real uh, economic project that pays even scant homage to the basic human dignity that we all possess by having the spark of life within us, the accident <laughs> of birth that put you in your material circumstances through, again, absolutely no fault of your own, instead of doing anything like that, we do the identitarian thing because corporations can, you know, uh, paint pride over all of their prisons or whatever it costs nothing and it just allows them to exercise more control 
uh, over the people beneath them, especially because it's almost impossible to keep up with the the sort of enlightened language you need to not be canceled. Right? Nope. It is funny that all of these people are mad because they are the people that are in power, but still beholden to these mega institutions that they thought they had refuge in. But those mega institutions are now so captured by the identitarian, uh, whatever you want to call it, streak, right? That they're turning against their own uh, promoters. The, the people that spent so long coming up with new words to avoid talking about economics have now so completely poisoned their corporations with it that the corporations are having to eat them when they slip up. I mean, what's also good? There? Yeah, good. Enjoy. You know who you can't cancel? A fucking like steel worker in Pittsburgh. You Unless you're like a, a, a K-pop espionage person, in which case they'll find a way. But for the <laughs> yeah. most part, it's like it, enjoy it. You set the table now, eat. Yeah, Saul from uh, you know some Yenzer is going to say a bad word on Twitter about um, you know <laughs> just fucking Monster X, and he's going to wake up to a bucket of shit on his front yard from a thousand people in you South joke, Korea. But I, I I dare someone in Pittsburgh <laughs> to say some shit about Shonu. <laughs> See what happens. You know, so about like cancel culture, like the idea, it's branding is total horseshit because it's something for like comfortable libs to rail against and they never really have to say what it is. But in a sense, I really like it. Um, we've talked on the show before about how like um, the concept of like a news desk gives something validity to the older generations. Yeah. Right. Like how if you put Charlie Kirk in the Washington Post on the editorial page, all of us, which happened, of course, well, they grew up with that. Uh, Charlie Kirk, yeah, the they grew option. up on that. But like, so they're thinking, well, Charlie Kirk, well, this is must be news. Like Charlie Kirk must be a valid, you know, person with ideas. Or like Ben Shapiro has a desk, or Alex Jones has a, a desk. very tiny desk. He got it from NPR. <laughs> <laughs> Our younger generations, we see, you know, these fuckers going in the Washington Post or the New York Times, and we're thinking, no, no, that doesn't mean they're valid. That means the New York Times is fucking trash. That means the Washington Post needs to get canceled. And, like, that's their fear, right? They're no longer the arbiter of what is and isn't truth. It's that, you know, our, the younger people, like, under, I guess, 35 to 40 or whatever, can sort of see through that bullshit and are free to say, like, nah, you know what? Fuck the New York Times. Yeah, fuck them. I don't give a shit. And it's self-perpetuating because every tweet that Wells Fargo fucks up by using the wrong language makes people more skeptical that they're any sort of institutional arbiter of justice. Any of these people at this point, like, I don't really give a fuck what you're crying about. Like I said, none of this is germane to the problems of the common man at this point in time. All of these are just people who would usually be calling the manager on other people, getting an even bigger manager called on them and being pissed off about it. Yeah. Like this isn't a thing for like, I think most like working class people or people that are just normal and trying to build something. Because when someone says or does something problematic there, uh, you don't call their manager because there is no manager because fucking now half of us are unemployed. You just you just talk to them and go like, hey, man, that was fucked up. Is this like a thing you want to continue doing or, or can you not do that anymore? And then you act accordingly based on what they tell you. Yep. Like that, that's it. <laughs> right. I mean, my I do want to be sad about Noam Chomsky signing that. And I feel like yeah, I tell me why that. that makes you sad. My my understanding was Chomsky was like he's been on one lately with with disappointing people on the left who you know, grew up with them. I, I think, I think my, you know, again, whenever you talk about Chomsky, you got to remember that like he was, he was, he was alive. He was listening to Hitler's speeches on the radio. Cancel him. Like I, there's <laughs> sort of like, like no matter personally, but his sound is undeniable. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's it's sort of like he's he's taken the stance like his entire career he's written obviously like a thousand books on this shit and it's sort of it's sort of distressing to see him take like a like a you know an elder glenn greenwald like fuck you angry like libertarian view of speech in the press you know what i mean like it's just disappointing like he was you know i know we're not trying to be sentimental or anything but like I read a lot of Chomsky when I was, you know, proto LF days, and like I, he did a lot for me, and it's just what's, sad what's to see like proto LF mean. And also, you're allowed to be sentimental. Oh, you know, like uh, when I was like twenty, God, like twenty two, twenty three, and I started reading like you know, manufacturing consent or something like that, and getting into it and reading Chomsky's essays, and it just sort of sucks ass to like read this fucking you know blowing yourself editorial signed on to him while they should be you know free from the consequences of the things they say on Twitter. It's that stuff's disappointing, like the Bernie stuff. But I always look at it as like those dudes both have really good ideas that they managed to hold on to through 50, 60 years of nonstop propaganda telling them otherwise. But some of that shit's going to leak through, right? Like they're not immune to to the system that they live in. Every, some of that's going to leak in. And, all and that's of us all are being is. slowly poisoned by living in the imperial core. Yeah. All of us. It's just that's look, that's why people smarter than me have thought that maybe, uh, the, the potential for doing socialism isn't so great here. I get it. Chomsky, you, you know what? You put up one hell of a tour. Rest easy, King. You just retire. You can, you know, do whatever goofy shit you want to do now. You've earned it. He has some great ideas that he has promoted across the years. Those are all wonderful and relevant. And uh, if he does weird, wacky shit as an old man in these, like, corners of odd liberal media wankery, like... All right, whatever. Like that's fucking dumb and it's disappointing, but like it doesn't really affect that the the main ideas he's promoted have been good. Yeah, when he was like 15, he wrote like a master's thesis on like grain production in Barcelona during the Spanish Civil War to prove that the the anarchists were better than the communists at like organizing during warfare and shit like that. I will always have that. You can't take that away from me. Yeah, how many decades does he have to do that? This is like if Mozart like lived to be like 82. It's like, we get it, the confutatus, move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't mean he wasn't great. I remember, I'm old enough to remember right after 9-11, they had uh, Chomsky on to debate Pat Buchanan on CNN. <laughs> Chomsky said, Chomsky said, of course we knew who bombed the World Trade Center. We saved the receipts. And like, nice. like Buchanan called him like a American hating, you know, whatever, whatever. Rip to a king. Pat Buchanan. <laughs> <laughs> 1992 presidential nominee. Is Pat Buchanan alive? I don't know. No one knows. So. He just vanished into the sunset. If he ran right now, he could run on a dumb ticket. Oh, yeah. As a paleoconservative? <laughs> oh, my God. He's yeah. still alive. He's 81. Oh, so he's basically the same age as everybody else running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's younger than Biden. <laughs> he's a more viable Biden. <laughs> True. Uh, you know, Adi Barkin? Is that how you say it? Adi, Adi Barkin? The guy with the ALS? He's, oh, yeah. he's been slowly dying and like yeah, yeah. doing his damnedest courageously to, to try to push Medicare for all so other people don't have to go through the same pain as him. Really the essential difference between the left and right. The right's like, I had to do it, now you do. The left's like, I don't want anyone to have to go through this shit, yeah. right? <laughs> and so every candidate has had, it had been previously face-to-face -face interviews with him, you know, where he gets to like look Kamala in the eye and be like, my medical bills are high, right? And there's gonna be a lot of people like me that, you know, are not gonna be able to afford it. Thankfully I can, you know, I can travel around and all that, but what are you gonna do? And it's very affecting uh, and you can tell in person and with these people that know they have to be in politics for a while, they're like, yeah, no, we do need to to do something. Now, they, they talk out of both sides of their mouth, like Pete Buttigieg types, but they at least made an effort. 
he did his interview with Biden over the weekend. It was dope because you're like, first of all, it was telecommuted. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, man, he is not looking good to Biden. (laughs) Like Biden looked the worst out of the two of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, ALS sucks. But man, Joe Biden, you look fucking horrible. And then he talked over him where he was like, yeah, I have like all these medical bills and joe biden's response was listen here jack i'll tell you i got higher medical bills than you can imagine when i was in the hospital you know you know my son before he died he, he racked up almost a quarter of mil- million so don't tell me i don't know about the pain of facing <laughs> medical bills and like you could see every cell inside of barkin just trying to telekinetically strangle him <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I should pull myself up by my bootstraps. Other people have it worse. It was just, it's inspired. And he can just do that now because that's a fine political position. We have the Heritage Foundation healthcare system that he's pushing. We got Bush war criminals making ads for him. Uh, and getting applauded. It's, it's, we got the uh, former deputy uh, chief of staff for the CIA running his transition team, which no one thinks is weird. Like, <laughs> It's it's what a what a time if if you're a Democrat right now. When whenever Biden talks about his own like pain, remember that he lied about his family or his, one of his kids getting killed by a drunk driver, uh, and that guy it was driven him to suicide. Joe Biden also at a when he was confronted by a veteran claimed that his son died in Iraq. Bo did not die in Iraq. He died of a brain tumor back in the States. Yep. And whatever hospital bills that he accrued during his treatment for that would be paid for by like a month and a half of him sitting on a board for a Ukrainian energy company doing nothing but twiddling his thumbs. Also, he did sexually assault a woman, and unlike Kavanaugh, didn't even have to unleash Trump's tax returns in order to be rehabilitated. <laughs> we all just went, yeah, well, there are worse things, and moved on. Yep. The idea that like your bills approached anybody else's while you are sitting senator your son who's dying was uh, a state attorney general by the way that part gets glossed over like you're basically saying like well i'm in a wildly uh incredible position of power and so is he and we still suffered a little bit oh well then what the fuck do you think happens to the rest of us man that's the coronavirus thing where it's just like you know what certain things are going to become endemic and it's like well you know what i don't like it when it's hot out but you still got to go up and you got to get to work jack He's just doing that with like plague and medical bills and <laughs> every aspect of our American society that is melting around us. I, I do love how they keep referring to to his wife as a doctor. She's she's introduced on all the shows. Oh, Doctor Jill Biden is here, and she has her doctorate. She has her PhD in education. That said, <laughs> I bet she is doing more day to day medicine than most nurses. <laughs> uh, so there's like. 10 different insane things happening in Florida right now that I wanted to talk about. Um, We mentioned on the bonus, uh, if you heard it, great. If you didn't, um, you should check it out. It's great. Fuck you. (laughs) Uh, But we mentioned that like what the state of Florida is doing, Ron DeSantis, the governor, has decided that schools will open no matter what, right? He made that announcement last week. Schools are going to open. I can learn about creationism at home. There's no reason for this. You should be aware that schools in Florida open crazy early in august we're not talking about september we're talking august i believe 10th so look at whatever the date is right now look at the number of new florida COVID cases and then look at how far away you are from august 10th and go oh does that seem like a good idea probably not his new talking point about this is if you can do home depot if you can do walmart you can definitely do the schools yeah if you can jump off a fucking diving board you can jump off a cliff like you're just falling for a little bit (laughs) it's not that big a deal y'all are making a big big fuss over it 
Best part is that Home Depot and Walmart were huge vectors of disease transmission. Yeah, you also can't do those things. <laughs> like empirically, we just you tried, it didn't work. I don't I don't know what it's like. I mean, you guys are in Florida. I don't know what it's like in New York, but Home Depot like will sell will give away hot dogs. Like like on Fridays and Saturdays, oh if you yeah, go there, like yeah, they'll hand you like ga- like lemonade and a hot dog as you walk in, and they were advertising that in Knoxville like every single day. Yo, come by, we're an essential business. Come get a free hot dog and buy some wood. That's the level we're at. You have to pretend. You have to get in line to pretend you're interested in plywood, uh, because you're so unemployed and out of options that you have to risk the plague in order to get a fucking warm hardware store hot dog <laughs> and Grim. that's the model that's the model of success we're using for the elementary schools opening yeah so the, they're still pushing the school opening right um there are no powerful teaching unions in florida by the way uh it's a right to work state teachers aren't allowed to strike in the state so in case you were going to say they should strike i still think they should they should wildcat strike but it's a, it's a slightly more challenging process in florida than it is in other states they're starting to get some pushback on 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 that front from parents who justifiably are like, even if I'm cool with casually going wherever without a mask, I still don't want my kid to sit in a fucking classroom <laughs> during the plague. Like suddenly, suddenly even the libertarians get a little uncomfortable with that one. To learn nothing for no value add. <laughs> yes. Look, teachers are all heroes. My mother's a teacher uh, in Florida, but uh, Florida teachers aren't teaching shit. Like <laughs> they, they have such a particular curriculum that clearly can't get the job done. And there's absolutely no funding. Uh, when they created the Florida lottery, they said it was exclusively uh, for funding education. And then Republican government just stripped that immediately and, and put it towards, you know, fucking up voting booths or whatever. Small business grants just broke that promise. So there's already, it's almost impossible to learn anything. So just why are they, I get it's like childcare, Basically, that's the big one, yeah. But yeah, that's it's not yeah, child that's, care if they're getting the plague. Yeah, you know what? What is her name? Carolyn McKinney or Kaylee McKinney, whatever the the current you know press secretary's name is. And, and the big line now is like, we got to feed the kids. We have too many kids that you know get their food from school. The problem is not that we've got to get kids to school to feed them during a plague. It's that there's like no other fucking federal option to provide. 1200 calories a day to poor children than putting them into plague schools like that's horrifying our police budgets are enormous our school budgets are too small and yet here in new york uh i think it's between 15 and 20 percent of public school students the students are literally homeless so they are getting most of their shelter and their food from this system that's the only place you can find access to like counselors and social services mental health stuff like it is basically and when you turn 18 fuck you die in the street but the idea is those things are there we've offloaded everything there and now when we can't open it we're realizing like oh yeah uh, i guess that's pretty fucked oh well nothing we can do broke ass vietnam was able to just hand deliver meals to everyone during their quarantine like yeah no no big deal it's easy (laughs) we know where you live you're in that building that's what the police did (laughs) the police in vietnam delivered you food and masks for free during quarantine the police in new york city uh uh, jewel of western civilization (laughs) never wore masks and just kicked the shit out of journalists and anyone who looked like they could fall over easily one of the uh one of the saddest articles i ever read is about you know a college football article about recruiting 
and it was like, you know, you know, you get your like four star recruits or whatever, but then sometimes you get that gem who doesn't blossom until a sophomore year. And then it goes on to say like, the reason he doesn't blossom is because like, well, he's just never really had a good diet. And so his freshman year is the first time he's gotten adequate calories. And, man, he just shot up like a beanstalk. And now we got an all-SEC player. Hoo-ah! Damn. All, all those late nights of uh, playing Apex Legends with that 16-year-old are finally uh, paying off, coach. <laughs> yeah. It's all creepy. Our last episode, we went in depth about military recruiters. And I got to say, like, college football recruiters have that exact same vibe. Yeah, they have the exact same vibe. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine, I mean, obviously I boycott it because, I mean, NFL and college football, I can't imagine that, uh, like, backing a system that is so predatory that it's literally uh, holding calories over the star's head. Anyway, uh, Stan Luna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at Liberty University, uh, obviously, um, you know, very religious school. Uh, What's the name of the guy that wanted... runs that? Falwell? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, Jerry Falwell Jr. Jerry Falwell Jr. The, the guy that Donald Trump Jr. keeps around to look smart. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who has paid not one but two Miami Cabana boys uh, to stay quiet about something that happened while he and his wife were in Miami. Which <laughs> Only is cool thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Liberty University uh, has. Why like did he just an, adopt like, one like that one guy did? <laughs> <laughs> like Matt Gates. That's fucking Matt easy. Gates. <laughs> This is my son who I've been I've never mentioned, but I've had on my Twitter feed for five years. <laughs> I've been referring to him as the help on, on my uh, live streams for fucking days. So what about uh, Jerry Falwell? Jerry Falwell Jr. Yeah, so he decided they wanted a football program and they wanted it to be Division One. So like the coach they hired is a guy named Hugh Freeze, who was fired from Old oh Miss God. amidst scandal. And the, one of the things he did was on recruiting trips, he was using school cell phones to call. Uh, to, to call escort services for the players he was recruiting. <laughs> and Liberty University, this evangelical school, was like, this is our man right now. The guy who's currently the athletic director at Liberty University was at um, Baylor University when they had the massive rape cover-up with uh, Art Bryles. And uh, former Clinton prosecutor during the Monica Lewinsky trial, Ken Starr. Great, great people at Liberty University. That's all pretty bad. Um, <laughs> still take any of them over Jim Moore Jr., though, am I right? Yeah, right. Yes, 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 yes. But schools aren't the only thing that's opening. Uh, Walt Disney World's opening this weekend. God. I know everybody's been waiting for that one. I, I agree with that. I think that's cool. <laughs> uh, their stock immediately jumped, by the way. They were they were talking to one of these um, various Wall Street douchebags whose sector is media. Uh, and he was saying, essentially, for Disney, it's one of those things where it's like, quote, you've got TV, which is impacted by lack of production, lack of, lack of sports, advertising weakness, cord cutting. That's not good. You've got its film unit. It's all about Disney stuff. You've got its film unit, which has great content, but no theatrical openings in the near term. Citation that's needed on that, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem. And then you have parks, which have been hit by COVID-19 and closures. So of those three, what you can control is your park business. You've got control over the safety issues, the opening. That's under your control, so you can do what you can there. The only thing they can do to fix the massive economic impact of COVID on their business is just reopen the parks because they can't force theaters to reopen nationwide, right? They can't force production to restart up on TV stuff, but they can force the parks to reopen knowing that Florida has enough dumbasses they'll probably make a good amount of money off of it. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, kids and families, they, they die off new ones 
pop right up to replace them, you know, but uh, consumer confidence is something that when lost can be really damaging. <laughs> uh, so people die at Disney World like all the time. Like some like fat dude from Ohio comes down and like, you know, he's just <laughs> he's, he's like one false step away from that widow maker heart attack. Oh, and, yeah. They're uh, eating fried food and like 95 degree air. Yeah. It's like you the park to get around the park is actually like a, a, a pretty considerable hike. They got it's a lot of land there. Yeah, it's dope. Just just to see these like human bowling balls just fall over and then be rolled away by the seven dwarfs in costume. <laughs> so they're even they're even weirder than that. So they have a pretty like legit team of like paramedics and EMTs that work at Disney World, and they call themselves the Alpha Squad. And of course uh, they do. their job is basically to run there and tell everyone and their uh, that oh he's he's going to be fine. We're going to take him to get some water. And then they just basically they have like three or four like ambulances ready to go at all times. Holy We're, shit! I've I've gotten that he's there to get some water. Remark like six times when I was a kid. Yeah, they're taking dead. him to Prince Charming, who's gonna give him a big kiss and wake him up. <laughs> he's going to Epcot, where the air is better and easier to breathe. <laughs> They've got booze there. He'll perk up. Don't worry. <laughs> Disney really is just America in a nutshell. They got rid of the wench running around in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride because, like, you know, obviously that's that's gropey and weird. Uh, so, like, yeah, I guess that that's the right thing to do. But then they open that ride so you can see the new woke version and get coronavirus in the process. <laughs> just sitting on the Norwegian Epcot ride and the big gust comes and blows all of your disgusting particles to the, the flume behind you. <laughs> This is what we've done. And look, I hate, I do not like, yeah, I'm going to take a stand here. I don't like human suffering. Not my favorite thing. Uh, Rave. This, That's it. And it sucks for all those workers. It absolutely sucks. But Disney people are baseline already some of the biggest perverts in the world. Just <laughs> weird fucking psycho humanoid creatures, right? If my you bad. need to go to Disney, exactly. If you need to go to Disney, so much that you're just like like fuck it i want to eat i want to go to the the i want to go to epcot and go to the japan station and, and have hibachi uh made for me by a filipino person uh, like yeah fine go for it the d disappointing thing is you know covid doesn't seem to kill any evil people it's just going to asymptomatically infect people that are then going to go back to their communities and like ebor or fucking brandon or whatever tampa metro area you happen to live in and infect genuinely innocent people who would never make so stupid a decision. Yeah. And all this is happening with the backdrop of Florida becoming uh, what they're now calling the COVID epicenter of the world. Florida has, I think, as of right now, a quarter of a million cases. Uh, their positivity rate on tests is something like 14% for the last week, which is insane. Uh, and the death rate for Florida has started very quickly ticking up. So you'll see all this stuff about like, well, nationwide, the death rate's going down. And it's like nationally, maybe. Uh, but if you look at the states where the outbreak is hitting now, like, no, it's going up really fucking quickly. Right. And um, deaths, deaths trail, you know, positive tests by two to three weeks. And this yeah, exactly. is in the state, too, that's doing everything it can to hide its real numbers. Yeah, it'd be cool if the state spent some of that effort into like, I don't know, trying to research a vaccine or other medical treatment like something that wasn't just suppressing it you know yeah the the, the amount of work that like i must say it was more than this but like the amount of work that went into the salk vaccine for polio was comparable to what went into the manhattan project and it took five years 
And that was with a federal government that was functioning and incredibly competent and was willing to like stare down states that were against vaccines and say like, guess what dipshits? Like we're literally sending the national guard to put sugar to cubes on your children's tongues. And if you like fight us, we will, you know, drag your police officers into federal prison. Like that's what that took. Why does it take so long to make a vaccine? Because again, it's just, you know, I, I, you need, you, a, you need to like figure out something that works. And when you're doing this, you're just burning through test subjects. And by test subjects, I mean rats. And with this virus specifically, is an incredibly slow-moving virus, right? You're, you're two weeks from getting it to showing symptoms. You're two weeks from showing symptoms and need to be hospitalized. So this respiratory virus is like almost over a month before it kills you. So if you think about like, I need to infect this many things with this till I can get to a point where I can notice if I'm treating it, like that's just a matter of time. You can't make that happen any faster. You can't make viral transmission occur faster between type 2 pneumocytes and test subjects. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like it just like yeah, that, the part that's about the pneumocytes did, but the rest of it was sort of sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, just, uh, it's just a matter of time, no matter what. Like they, they can't speed up the process any more than it. Yeah, you can't make the rats get coronavirus any quicker than you already are. Unless you you're to trying through. to create a like faster moving coronavirus or COVID-19, which you know what the Trump administration <laughs> is probably doing. I, I will I will end you on this. This is a like a this is something I saw that I loved. Um I didn't love, it's horrifying. So type 2 pneumocyte cells, um, there's two cells at the end of the lungs that basically exist. One of them is where gas exchange happens. That's type 1. And type 2 help keep the lungs inflated. They're type, they release a chemical that makes um, the lungs buoyant. If they go away, the lungs collapse. That's a very easy way to describe this. Mm-hmm. And if the type 2 pneumocytes within the cellular mechanism of the, you know, of the, just the cell, if they realize something's not happening or they don't have something, they will literally create little tubules that will reach across to find another type 2 pneumocyte and borrow the protein or whatever that they're missing from this other cell. And so as the virus takes control of the internal replication mechanisms of the cell, um, the cell will realize it's missing something it's not making. It's making viral DNA instead. It's recreating the virus, but it's not making that protein that it needs. So it'll reach across inside the um, alveoli to another type 2 pneumocyte and be like, hey, can I have like this protein that you have and I can borrow because things are going great over here. And while it does that, 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 you know, that tubule, that microtubule is infected with corona. So it's like this cell that's dying and doesn't know why it's dying is going to reach out to its friend for help. And while reaching out to its friend for help is going to infect it. How fucking nuts is that? That's certainly bleak. <laughs> <laughs> and they got a picture of it by electron microscope. And it's incredible. It's, 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 it's like, Jesus, God, in 20 years, we'll tell our kids that we used to be able to do this. Now go farm the potatoes. <laughs> the only thing that'll be left, potatoes and the Irish. Anyway, sorry to <laughs> be dark and depressing. <laughs> no, more. look, I, the, bring more of this in the future because you do have an area of expertise and, you know, we don't always all need to be stupid, especially, I mean, especially if it's not real, like you, you do actually know this shit. I'm fascinated by that is it's, it's, it's a real like nuanced understanding, which is something that you literally aren't getting elsewhere. 
because you turn on CNN and it's just like, could you coronavirus be hiding in your burgers? And if so, which chains to avoid? Like, I'd much prefer listening to this stuff. Yeah, they just finally did a like reporter in the hospital all gowned up interviewing patients. Finally. It was in Texas, so kudos to her for actually going out there and doing the like hard hitting journalist stuff that like should be done constantly right now, but yeah, finally got one of those stories. Yeah, uh, CNN actually has been pretty good. Um they've got a bunch of ER docs from Tampa or like from Arizona that are now doing like live updates and shit like that. So I'm not going to shit on for that. And those doctors are all just like, Oh my God, it's worse than you can imagine. Please send help. No, I know. It's just, it's one of those things I was, I was telling Rob before, like if we're past like Vietnam levels of deaths, the difference is the media covered the bodies, right? Like they, you saw them transported back. You, you interviewed the people who were affected, right? Like the whole life cycle of like how someone dies and it, how it affects everything was covered extensively, right? Mm -hmm. If all you get is, is the expert and allows you to abstract yourself at least a little yeah. bit from the issue when they're in the hospital talking to a woman who's like, I don't, this is fucking awful. My family's doing the thing. Like I, I just got hit one day. I've been, I've been following quarantine, but like one family member went out and then I got it. You know what I mean? Like it hits yeah. on a, it hits on a deeper level and actually make it more impactful for regular people. Like, that is the job of the media. Like, we're in a plague. You need to convince people it's a big fucking deal. And Brad, the thing you were saying about how there's such a delay in you getting infected and being asymptomatic or showing symptoms and then finally getting to the hospital and then finally dying. Coronavirus really is perfectly situated to exploit our 24-7 media environment because you got a sense early on that coronavirus hit in New York just became a charnel house and people watch that on the news because that's how people learn about their world today because they have they're so alienated and isolated this is their only input and they watched it and for two months we're like damn oh cuomo oh look he's wearing a nipple ring uh or is he oh okay now we got oh what's happening over in california gavin newsom says he'll build his own uh he'll build his own uh respirators and we sort of saw these big metro areas on tv going through it for two months and then the media cycle just realized like well we can't we can't keep showing this stuff forever so let's let's interview lebron about the nba coming back and we slowly and then the economy started open we slowly started trickling back but that's on our media time frame the coronavirus time frame it hadn't even begun to infect the united states it, it had done its work pretty severely uh, in a couple big cities it's like the media stopped covering it before it ever got started. Mm -hmm. And now we see people who back in 9-11 could not imagine. We needed an, an, a catastrophic, an overwhelming response to the thousands of people that died on 9-11 because they were Americans. And, and regardless of how you feel, you can't do that to Americans that are just living their life. Now Arizona has like, a 9-11 constantly and it's just like yeah well they're probably fat or had diabetes or something it's just complete <laughs> it's not even that you need to show the coffins uh coming back from vietnam it's that nobody everyone just thinks they deserved it now yeah yeah imagine imagine like uh in 9-11 like like the response was like man they should have been better in shape they could have got down those stairs faster you know that, yeah no that is more or less what people are doing joe rogan went on there uh, he had some scientists on. He's like, you know what? People aren't saying enough about uh, 
you, you know, if you keep your immune system good, if you're taking cordyceps mushrooms, if you're doing, and it's just like, <laughs> man, I'm not sure that's it. Fuck off, Joe. But yeah, the, uh, the, the victim blaming is also why, like, you take it back to like children. Uh, so my sister called me uh, yesterday and her and her husband both have COVID now. Um, they just have like minor back pains. That's pretty mild. Um, but her two sons both have it, my nephews. So the older one who's like 11 has like a mild fever. But the baby who's only two, um, Jack, he's not doing real great. And um, she had to take him to the hospital last night. And uh, he's been discharged, so it seems like he's improving. But him getting sick, but the baby, the most innocent among the, the family getting sick, it, it just was incredibly upsetting. And I was thinking about it when I was in high school. We had to read this book for AP English class, uh, Brothers Karamazov, a Dostoevsky book. And I don't really remember much from that book, except this one section. It has sort of stuck with me over the years. And when I was thinking about my nephew, it, it reminded me of this segment. So I went back and looked it up again. And there's a section where one of the brothers is talking to the other, uh, this guy, Ivan, and he's struggling with the idea of a, you know, a, a divine, all-loving God. And it gets into real metaphysical shit. But he starts talking about human suffering. First, he talks about adults and he says, quote, one can love one's neighbors in the abstract or even at a distance, but at close quarters, it's almost impossible. If it were as on the stage in the ballet where if beggars come in, they wear silken rags and tattered lace and beg for alms dancing gracefully, then one might like looking at them, but even then we should not love them. And he says it's just as an example of why he doesn't talk about adults because it's so easy to, to not care for adults, to find something about them disagreeable to your taste to victim blame them for whatever suffering they've gone through and so he doesn't he says so i'm not gonna talk about adult suffering i'm gonna talk about children suffering and he relays all of these really gruesome examples of children suffering uh, that apparently Dostoevsky heavily researched but he lays out all of these gruesome examples of children suffering and then he poses this question to his brother and he says answer me Imagine that you yourself are building the edifice of human destiny with the object of making people happy in the finale, of giving them peace and rest at last. But for that, you must inevitably and unavoidably torture just one tiny creature, that same child who is beating her chest with her little fist, and raise your edifice on the foundation of her unrequited tears. Would you agree to be architect on such conditions? And the brother, of course, says no, he, he wouldn't be able to do that. And it's this long raging debate within the rest of the novel, this idea of would you be willing to create a, a great, wonderful society knowing that it's built on the back of the suffering of a single innocent? And I always use children because children are innocent. And I always think about this whenever I see something with children suffering because I look at that and then I look at how our society is structured. Uh, and I look at historically when we used to be the sort of people who at least pretended to say that better 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man suffer. And you look at how things are now and it, this idea of a great human society built on the backs of a single innocent suffering is so laughable. We seem to have arrived at a point in which we've decided it's better not just to let children suffer needlessly, but 
but to actively encourage it and then to stand by as it grinds them up and destroys them. And I just, it's just deeply heartbreaking. I was just thinking about it when my sister was telling me about how he had to go to the hospital last night and I could hear him just miserable crying in the background. And he had to go to the hospital because he couldn't breathe. I was just thinking all of that for what he, he has to suffer needlessly, perhaps have lifelong ramifications from this. We don't know. Assuming he recovers and for what it cost my little sister with a little bit of funds she had left. And it's all for what did we do? Did, did his suffering at least buy us a good society, a good system? Did, did it get us anything? Did we at least make some sort of horrifying Faustian bargain that I'm unaware of? No, it's not even noticed or picked up. The suffering of children like that everywhere in this country is just accepted. And now with DeSantis and Trump and seemingly every aspect of the political system just fucking encouraged. And I just wonder who exactly the social compact works for. Who, who did we structure this edifice for? Because the innocents are all suffering horribly brand new, fresh to this world, uh, a lifetime of what looks to be difficulties ahead of them thanks to what we've built so far. And we welcome them by allowing mass shootings and then sending them off to plague-ridden schools and exposing them to to plague-ridden cities and sidewalks and parties, all because we couldn't be bothered to do the right thing. What is there in this system left to save? If it is an edifice that serves no one and has as its base the suffering of not just a single innocent, but seemingly almost all of them, then why? Why would I show up to support either party who is bound and determined to keep the system intact? Why would I care if people destroy private property or want to burn things down? Why would I do anything but cheer for the end of such a cruel and inhumane system? Because any system that we can create out of the ashes of this hell is going to be an improvement. Because I guarantee that it, its base will not be filled with the blood and bones of children and innocents. Every time I see the children suffering needlessly, it just radicalizes me further. And being related to him and actually having held this particular innocent child is just more fuel to the revolutionary fire. But yeah, sorry to be a downer on that one. I just, so many people say they don't know anybody who's gotten it. There you go. My whole family has it at this point. Um, and the people suffering most are the most innocent amongst us.